This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. If you're in here, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6, John's Gospel chapter 6. While you are finding that, I found a list of the most famous people in history. This was according to Time Magazine, so I think it's somewhat legit, and what they did was they used what they claimed was a similar algorithm to how Google organizes search topics and internet data, and then how Google ranks the results. They used a similar idea to rank the most famous people in history based on, again, the algorithms and internet data, and from that, they concluded that Jesus Christ is the most famous person in history by a wide, wide margin. If you're curious, Muhammad is third, William Shakespeare is fourth, and I left out second because I was really surprised by this. So I I think one, three, and four seemed believable enough. Um, I would not have guessed number two. So don't say it out loud, but just think of a name in your head really quick. Who would number two be? It was Napoleon, the French emperor. Did any, anybody in the room think Napoleon? I, 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 um, uh, the Americans come in five and six. Abraham Lincoln is five. George Washington is six. And, and I'm starting there. Because it got me thinking about just how many people have heard Jesus' name, but how many people really know him? How many people actually get him? And sadly, that number is far, far less. And that's where we find ourselves in John's gospel this morning. The fame of Jesus is growing The crowds are gathering, but sadly, very few people are actually getting him. Last time, where we left things off, Jesus had fed this number that's recorded as 5,000 men, which probably means there were something like 20,000 people present when you include the women and the children. He'd done that with just five little kind of muffin-sized pieces of bread and two little pickled fish. And this this is a miracle. He does it out in the open. Everybody saw it. It's, It's that obvious. And so once these people have seen what he can do, and it says there once they'd eaten their fill... What they do is they come to him and they try to surround him. And what they want to do is appoint him and make him their king. And they want to do that because they think he's going to lead them in some kind of a conquest. But as you read the Gospels, what is very apparent is that's not the kind of savior that Jesus is. He's not a conquesting savior. He's a better savior. He's a a longer savior, a more permanent savior. So instead of say, sure, I'll I'll become your earthly king, what Jesus does at the end of where we were last time is he sneaks away under the cover of darkness. And when when the sun rises the next day, which is where we're going to be picking it up today, the people wake up in the morning and they they see that he's gone and they're going to chase him some more. And when they find him, 
you know, they, they want to know, well, why did you run away? Isn't this what you want is for us to, to gather? Isn't uh, this what you want is for us to want to follow you? We love you. We're here for you. And this is why Jesus is a great savior. He says, you only think you love me, but right now you don't really know me. A lot of you are going to come to know me, but right now you, you don't get me. And he says that because he knows if he lets them love him like this and follow him this way, he's not really the kind of king that they need. He will be the kind of king maybe that could give them a slightly better life in this world. But Jesus knows way better than you or I that that doesn't matter much at all. What he is capable of. And, and, and the reason that he came is to be a better king who will lead us into the world to come forever and ever and ever. He didn't come to be a little king. He came to be, become the big king. And what I want to do this morning is point us, like these people find themselves, point us to just, just two reasons that we often come to Jesus, but they're the wrong reasons. So Jesus is gracious to show us the right reasons and to direct us that way. There is much kindness from God on display here in John 6. Jesus isn't only a victorious Savior. He's a patient, teaching Savior. God doesn't make life a, a guessing game. You know, you, you take a wrong turn, you choose the wrong path, and, and you'll get stuck. That's not what he's doing. He's not making life a maze that you have to navigate through in the dark. He's available. God's always trying to turn on the lights. He wants to straighten paths, <clears throat> not make them difficult to navigate. And that doesn't mean we see it all. We're still called to faith, by faith. But in these verses, what we see people coming to God and doing is wanting little things. And what Jesus is patient and good to do is saying, e -e you're not seeing everything. You're seeing just the little things. Let me show you the big thing. And come to me for that. Come to me for the big thing. That's what Jesus wants to say now. So if you have your Bibles, let's be in John chapter 6, verse 22 together. I'll read it. I'm going to stop a little bit along the way, make a few comments, and then we'll finish up together. So let me read starting at John 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. And that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Okay, really quickly, uh, just to kind of set the scene. So here they are, again, they're looking for Jesus but not because they know he's a, the humble, sacrificial lamb. They're looking for him because they saw a miracle. 
And, and so they're thinking, we saw him feed this massive crowd. And then the disciples left without him, but, but somehow he's not there anyways. And, and the reason was he'd actually walked on water. That's what we find in, in just the previous verses. And then he'd instantly moved his disciples to the other side of the lake where, where they were going. And so the masses think he must be capable of so much more. He could feed people. He obviously got someplace without a boat. He must walk. If he can do that, what else can he do? And so they follow. And John's making sure we understand why they're following. He's, just, he's really trying to go to great lengths to say, not because they understand him do they follow, because they want and they're thinking of all that he could give them. So they're after the magic show. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, <coughs> you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fifth of the loaves. <coughs> Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So remember, two wrong ways we might come to Jesus and how Jesus is patient to correct that. So the first way we might come to Jesus, we see it here. We think we need bread. The previous verses said they ate their fill. Jesus says, again, you, you're coming to me because you ate your fill. So the first thing, reason we come to Jesus really is just kind of summarized by full stomachs. And, and this is just the stand-in here. For them, it's full stomachs. For us, it's, it's abundance. Jesus said, we don't need to be things filled with the things of this world. We need something more satisfying. And that's true. This is what Jesus is saying here. You think you're coming to me because I filled up your stomach. You think you're coming to me because you can get more out of me. You can feel filled up with the things that this world has to offer. But here's what Jesus knows, and here's what we need to learn, and this is what he's going to teach them. The world's food can only satisfy you for a little while, maybe a few hours. But it's never even more than a day. It's a matter no, no matter how much food you eat, you will be hungry again in a little while. And it's true of food, and it's true of whatever else, but here he's going to use food to teach. And so I, I love to eat. Love it. And uh, as my wife says, I am a carnivore. Like, I I'm a meat eater. Uh, for Christmas this year, some friends gave us a pack with uh, steaks in it. And in this pack with steaks in it, there was uh, some filet mignons. And so wow, we planned a special night. It was just, I was so excited. Like, just like, so excited to get this gift. We planned this special night. Uh, Holly's mom was going to be staying with us for a couple days, and I thought, this is it. This is going to be great. Uh, she's going to be there. It's special. It's filet mignon night. So I watched maybe roughly 100 hours of YouTube videos on how to cook a filet mignon. Okay, not that many. Not, not 100 hours, but I watched a lot of YouTube on how to cook a filet mignon. And so the night comes. Here's how to cook. I'm just going to give you a little lesson here on how to cook a filet mignon at your house. Uh, I have a cast iron pan. You just get that thing ripping hot. I mean, really, really hot. 
You put the steak on it and you sear it just for a couple of minutes each side. And then you have your oven going and what you do is you, you take your cast iron and you, you put it right in to finish it in the oven. And then while it's in that cast iron pan, it's baking, kind of finishing in butter and garlic and a, a combination of fresh herbs, which we, we went and we got the fresh herbs because I wanted to do this right. And then you pull it at exactly 140. At exactly 140, it's going to rise to 145, just a nice pink in the center medium. You're basting it the whole time with the butter. You rest it, and then after a few minutes, you eat. And this was my first time ever cooking a filet mignon at home. So there was a lot riding on this. And I'm just pleased as punch to tell you I nailed it. Like it was just, it was, thank you. It was one of the best things I've ever eaten. I'm sure we had something with it. We probably had a vegetable. Maybe we went, you know, full steakhouse and there was a potato of some kind. I don't remember the sides. But I just remember being so satisfied. We talked about it for at least an hour afterwards. That's all we were talking about. I told Holly, I think, I said, I am just right on the edge of going into idolatry over this. Like, that was just so good. It's tender. It was, it was just the whole deal. And then you know what happened about nine o'clock? I got hungry, so I ate a bowl of cereal. <laughs> I have never just left the teenager stage where I get hungry and I eat cereal at night. I love it. So I just, I, I, I do it all the time at church. I'll, I'll be here at church uh, a night thing. I'll come home, I'll be hungry, and I'll just start in on some cinnamon toast crunch. That steak was a top five meal all time for me. I loved it. I kept praising, at the dinner table, I was just like, praise God for this, it's so great. I was hungry three and a half hours later. Look at what Jesus says to them. You're seek, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, other places in the Gospels say you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. You're seeking me for the signs. This is actually what Jesus is saying here is this is a little bit worse. Jesus is saying you're not even seeking the signs you've seen me do. You're just seeking full bellies. And he's almost saying, I have nothing to do with it. You're just seeking full bellies. If, if somebody else could give you a full belly, you'd go to them. If something else could fill up your stomach, you'd go to it. You'd just as easily go to the other thing. I don't even have anything to do with this. But remember, he's a gracious teaching savior. So even though they're so wrong about this, he doesn't chastise them. He corrects, he turns. And so what he says is, don't work for this kind of food. You'll be hungry again. And they can actually know that because he just filled up their stomachs the day before, and now they're back for more. So he says, instead, work for the food that leads to eternal life. Now here's where we see more grace. Just more grace from God. Work for the food that leads to eternal life. Well, how do you work for that food? If you buy that and you believe that and, and you agree that that's what you need, you need the food that leads to eternal life. How do you get it? And the, the answer is so incredible. It's, it's right here in verse 27. The son of man will give it to you. How does that work? Jesus tells us how next. God of the father has set his seal on Jesus. 
This is how this works. This is how Jesus gives you food that doesn't just last a few hours, but lasts forever. Uh, To set your seal on someone was to kind of declare or, or to certify that they represent you. So an agent or kind of a representative would come bearing the seal of a master. And everybody would know that they came in his name because they have his seal. And Jesus is saying, I can give you what only God can give you, which is eternal life, because God has sent me to do just that. I come in the name of God. I come for God. I am God's representative. And they, they, they begin to understand a little bit. They want that. They're not going to fully get it here. But so they ask what to do, and, and Jesus just, just teaches more. So verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. There are two meanings here. The work you do to have eternal life isn't to try and to buy it on your own. You can't earn it. You can't put enough in the bank for it. But you can open yourself up freely to receive it. How do you receive eternal life from God? You just open yourself to him. You can believe that God is real, that he's there, and he sent Jesus to give eternal life. That's how you receive. You believe in him who he has sent. And when you do that, you'll come to see that that's not really you doing any of that work at all. So how, do you, how, how does the work happen? God does it. God does the work. You believe in him because God is gracious to open your mind and open your eyes to see his greatness and his glory. He gives you belief in him. And there's the second meaning then. There's all kinds of work that needs to happen. Sin needs to be punished, and people need to be made holy. So the first work is you need to believe. But your belief isn't strong enough. Sin needs to be punished, people need to be made holy, and God does that too through Jesus. When people believe in Jesus, what it means to believe in Jesus is to believe that at the cross, our sin that we should bear was taken off of us, and it was put onto him And then at the cross, God justly and rightly, righteously punished Jesus in our place for our sin. So he's guilty and you go free. He suffers so you can be healed. And at the cross of Jesus, your redemption is settled forever. And you weren't there. So you can't, you can't say, well, I, I did a lot. You weren't there. It was done before you were born. He does all of that work. He does it all. That's the work of God to save you. And it's the work of God to give you belief in it. So that's the first wrong reason we might come to Jesus. We think we want bread. We, we, we want full stomachs. We want in abundance. And for us, it, it might not be food because we have enough of it. But whatever it is that we think we need in this world, we think that maybe if we come to Jesus, he'll give it to us. But really what he says is don't come. Don't come because you think you need something in this world. Come because you, think you, because you know you need something that lasts far beyond this world. You need life in me. 
Now let's look at the second wrong reason that we might also see more of his grace. He gives more grace here. So let's pick it up in verse 30. I'll read this and then I'll tell you what the second wrong reason is. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. The second wrong reason is we think we need more signs. So we're looking for more proof, more confirmation, something that will show us the power of God. So Jesus says, you don't need a little sign for me. This is, this is Jesus teaching. Now we think, well, I need another sign. I need you to again prove that you're God. You again, prove your faithfulness. Again, prove that you're for me. And Jesus says, you don't need a little sign from me. You don't need a little something in this world again. You can have all of me. And so the flow of what people are hearing from Jesus is they think in the first part, he's saying, you just come for the food. And so they say, oh, okay, you're, you're right, Jesus. And the crowd thinks that they're learning and they say, okay, okay, we're not just coming for the food anymore, but, but they just can't help themselves. And so they say, well, what are you going to do for us then? Okay, we get it. It's not the food, but, but there's, there's got to be something you're going to do for us, right? And just like we go to Jesus trying to get a little something extra for that day, we also go to him trying to figure out how we get a little closer to the power or how can we get in on the power as well. And so they're looking for a sign. They're looking for a sign of his power. And they think that they're being spiritual. So here's, here's the difference. They think that they're being spiritual and even biblical by relating what they're asking for to manna. But Jesus says, that just shows all the more that you're not getting it. He's not frustrated. He's teaching. So, so let, me, let me show you how he's saying you're still not getting it. So what they're asking for is a sign to prove that he can make this offer from God. In other words, okay, if you can really give us this bread that lasts forever, okay, we're going to need a sign of that now. He's already fed them bread, and so they think, okay, we'll stay on that theme, we'll be spiritual, we'll be biblical, and we'll talk about the greatest provision of food ever in the history of our people. So when the Israelites were in the, the wilderness, between the time that God led them out of Egypt in the Exodus, and before... Uh, so they had been, they had had weak faith, uh, uh, insufficient, uh, terrible faith uh, to enter the promised land. And so God says, you're going to wander around the Sinai Peninsula for a generation. And, and, and you're going to kind of be nomadic. And there was nothing for them to eat. They had no home. They had no land to settle on. So they couldn't plant crops. They couldn't, uh, it was difficult to, to herd animals. And so what God did was every morning he put bread on the ground with the morning dew so they could just pick it up and they could eat it. They could prepare it in different ways and they could eat it. It was called manna. 
was kind of a sweet bread and it was filling. And the way it worked is five days a week, they were given enough for that day. On the sixth day, before the Sabbath, God would put down enough for two days. And then as an act of trust to build faith in them, he instructed them to save a day's worth for that seventh day. So whoever is kind of at the front of the line, at the front of the crowd, and is speaking for all these people, what they're saying is God showed those people a sign that he could give bread by actually giving them bread, the bread they needed, and he even did it by including extra bread. And basically they're saying, what are you going to do to show that you too can give us bread? What are you going to do to be like that? How can you give us even a little bit extra? And to that Jesus says, you don't need the sign of bread on the ground in the morning. I am the sign. I am the bread. I'm standing right in front of him. He's not angry. He doesn't get indignant. He's patient. But he's saying, I'm the better bread. I'm the real manna. That bread came down every day, and it was enough for a day or two. I've come down from heaven, and I'm enough for every day. You just need me once, and it's good forever and ever and ever. Like the bread, he's right in front of them, but unlike the bread, you're not going to need it again tomorrow. We don't need something new tomorrow. We just need him every day. Do you know what the people began to think about the manna in the Old Testament? They got tired of it. They wanted something else. If you want to read about that, it's recorded in Numbers 11. Church, here's what we need to contend with. Like this crowd, do we have the bread of life, God's son Jesus, right in front of us? So do we have eternal life? And are we looking right through that and asking if, you know, there's something else that we could have? Do we have the best thing right in front of us? And we're kind of looking over that shoulder saying, well, yeah, but what else can you do for me? Jesus could say this. He could rightly ask them, I could do any other sign you wanted. What, what else do you want me to do? But let's just be honest. If he did something, would it be enough? They have the best sign. They have God the Son come down from heaven right in front of them, and they're still asking for more. You're he's saying you're talking to the sign He's given you your fill. God, yesterday I filled you up. I showed you a great sign yesterday. I gave you your fill yesterday and you're back less than 24 hours. It was in the afternoon yesterday. You're back in the morning today asking if I've got any better tricks. Unless we're careful, we can have that what have you done for me lately attitude and approach to our faith. People go to Jesus for second-rate reasons all the time. Let's not do that. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not taste good bread and ask where you can find a little bit more of it. How do you taste and see that the Lord is good, not just look for bread in this world? You refine your palate 
spiritually. You refine your spiritual palate. You learn to tell the difference. So many people will only ever go to Jesus when they're in trouble or when they think they have nowhere else to turn and they think, well, he'll be there for me then. I'll go to him. But the second, the second they've got what they need, they're back to their normal life. But here's what the second half of, of that little couplet in the psalm says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know what I think every time I see somebody go to the Lord, seek him, find refuge in him from their present storm, and, and then once the storm passes, they go out of the shelter and, and right back to where they were before? I think, did you not taste and see the difference? So the, the trouble with great food, right, is once you taste it, you begin to crave it. Like, when I told you that story about the filet mignon, I was like, man, I just want a filet mignon now. I'm kind of hungry. You have something less good, and immediately you're drawn to that great meal if you've developed a taste for it. And I actually want it to be that way for us. I want us to have tasted and seen the Lord's goodness in such a way that whenever we're tempted to go away and find something smaller in this world, we go, this just tastes like a Hot Pocket. I don't pick on Hot... You might like Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets are like the lowest form. You can cook them. You cook them in a little, that little cardboard sleeve in the microwave. Listen, that's not real food. Anything that you can cook in a, pla- in a, in a, in a cardboard sleeve in the microwave is barely food, okay? I want you to not go, ah, filet mignon or Hot Pocket, whatever. I want you to go... I've had, I've had good food. This is barely food. Let's not taste the goodness of the Lord and go back to cheap food that's mostly filler. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're like, I don't get that. Maybe it's because you've never tasted it. Maybe, it's, maybe you've never tasted it. How do you taste it for the first time? You remember what Jesus said. You believe in him who he has sent. Believe in Jesus. Realize that he's right in front of you. If you've been looking for a sign, like, God, show me a sign. You don't need one. You can have him. He's all the signs. And for those who do know him, the great thing about Jesus is you can always have more of him. This is where analogies break down in a great way. Jesus isn't like literal bread. You can have too much of that. Eventually just have eaten too much and you're stopped and you feel gross. You can get full of the food in the world and you can, it can actually make you uncomfortable. That doesn't happen with Jesus. You can see him and taste him more and more and all you will do the more you taste him is develop a greater hunger for him. Your appetite for him will only grow. So don't settle for second-rate things. Uh, we went to uh, a Brazilian steakhouse. I'm going to tell a lot of meat stories, apparently, this morning. Uh, for, for our anniversary one time. I think it was our anniversary. Uh, have, you, have you seen these places or been to one of these places? Again, it's, it's right on the border between awesome and disgusting. Like, right there. Uh, they walk around with these huge skewers of meat. And, and you just flag down one of the servers, and they come, and they just give you whatever you want. So it's, it's all-you-can-eat meat, basically. And I realized when we were seated 
the, the, the person who sat us said, okay, well, the salad bar is open right away. You can go now, and the meat people will start coming around in a little while. And I was like, we're being set up. I know we're being set up. I like a good salad. I really do like a good salad. You're not there for the salad bar. You're not there for the salad bar. You're not there for the veggies and hummus, okay? If you're at that restaurant, you are there for one singular reason. And so it took discipline and patience, but I stayed away from that salad bar. I waited for the main thing. It's obviously a, a little bit of a joke, but I did. I, 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 we're there for one thing. Here's the point. Jesus is the main thing. Don't get caught up in what you think you want to fill you today. Don't say, well, what am I just hungry for today? What will, what will satisfy me for a little while? Don't think you need an extra sign. Realize the true gift is the true gift from heaven is right there in front of you. So taste and see that the Lord is good. There's, there's nothing else like Jesus. Nothing fills like him. Nothing fills eternally. So develop a taste for that. Let's pray. God, for your glory and our everlasting good, would you give us a greater desire for Jesus? I pray that we would desire him, long for him, desire to be in his presence and to be filled with him above all things. God, I do thank you and praise you. We could tell story after story in this room, in our church, of the ways that you have met our needs, You've blessed us beyond what we deserve and you have provided abundantly for us. And I pray that we would glorify your name. We would give you the praise for that. We'd be a praise-filled people for you are always working. Every good and perfect thing we have comes down from you. But I pray that we wouldn't let it end there. I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with that. I pray that we would see those as extra things. But the, right, the main thing best thing is you. Give us a taste first and foremost for that. It's in the name of the all-satisfying Savior that we pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.